23 minutes after 7 p.m. It's our wrap of the top business stories. We kick things off out in the markets. Joining me to uh, take a look at the markets and uh, what uh, things fared like in company news and also uh, some interesting stories also coming out of uh, the African political economy. I'm joined on the line by Snesipo Maninjwa, independent market commentator, analyst and CA. Snesipo, good evening. Welcome. Um, evening, Aya. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Can't complain. I certainly hope you had a good weekend. Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. So the festivities of the NFL officially kicked in. So, yeah. Yo, se- se- December, I, 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 I get that sense. Uh, se- yes, I'm with it. <laughs> Most definitely with it. Most definitely. Let's start off, uh, you know, I was, I was saying to Andy uh, earlier on today, hey, it seems the fish oil, the fish meal, the toti of uh, canned pilchards and many other things have certainly buoyed the numbers that have come through from Oceana. Uh, which for the first time reported, I guess, uh, some of their numbers, excluding some of their disposals, uh, in particular of that cold storage business that they had. What, what did you make of this set of numbers? Um, so they released a positive set of results. Um, condensed, these are still condensed reviews. So we assume that when the auditors uh, come out eventually, mm. as you know, in the beginning of the year, they had a bit of scandal as we relate to the U.S. associate Daybrook. Uh, investments which led to the resignation of its CFO, the resignation of the auditors and a few mm. other senior management changes. Um, so they released a positive set of results, um, positive results, and primarily driven by the tinned fish, um, tinned fish, and they reported both an increase in volumes and as well as an increase in um, revenue, overall revenue. And I think what's driving that is um, it's, it's a big thing called when times are tough as a substitute product. Tin fresh is a substitute product in its actual course. Mm. So when times are tough, you notice that the guys in poultry um, have, and, and we don't have beef that are listed in South Africa, um, but if you look reference-wise, even in the U.S., they have come down revenue-wise. Primarily driven in that when times are tough and you still require a good source of protein, you you move to um, a cheaper, more substitute product. And I and, and do you get a sense that I mean, much of the products we're talking about here, fish meal, fish oil, um, and uh, I guess canned pilchards fit into that. I mean, as opposed to yeah. what premium product? Um, as opposed to just um, chicken beef, chicken mm, beef. Okay. Quite, it, 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 you have to understand that protein is a is a regular component of anyone's diet. Mm. So even if you look at um, the recent results, even from Tiger Brands, if you see w- in which of their products have actually come up, it's basically sort of the the similar thing. Um, we have some sense of numbers from uh, Pioneer, uh, uh, pr- uh, uh, Pioneer when a break of the Belgian um, but they cancel the listing. But it just shows when you have a tough economic downturn and um, has a lot of, will have you doing um, a lot of switching. Mm. A lot of switching and what ha- it's, it's unfortunate that you, you, you still require the protein, but you just move to different products. And that sort of, um, 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 it, it does actually... Um, so I forgot to mention, um, yeah, just to come to a premier, which ha- makes no flake as well as I, I was, um, they were the ones who canceled their listing last week mm. as a result of market turmoil. But even when you saw the initial um, 
pre-listing statement. The same thing, whereas in times of economic difficulty, you switch from um, uh, you switch from uh, beef chicken to maybe tinned fish, canned fish, um, canned fish, um, cheaper products. Um, you switch also carbohydrate sources. Mm. And it, it all boils down to the end consumer, and you can you can sort of see it even in um, the results that ShopRite release as well as in terms of where the growth is coming sure. from. Where you can see that although, and it's also a very competitive market. There, it's not a product where you can um, you can you can you can uh, put, put on. It's a price taker. Mm. Uh, just a quick one, Snesipo, just on that point around price taking. I mean, by nature, a business that is very logistics heavy, you kind of have to, you know, uh, you know, charter vessels that go out into the sea to go and fish for what you're looking for. Um, what impact has higher than expected logistics costs, and in particular fuel costs for some of these vessels had on the numbers that Oceana put out? Um, so, early enough, um, the cost, of vessels, um, specifically shipping costs, have come down back to pre-COVID levels. Mm. So it's actually cheaper now, even with oil price, because the market has stabilized. Remember, a big thing that Oceana reported, specifically in their set of results, which also impacted their cash holding, is that they had to invest significantly in high working capital because of the um, the, the, the constraint in the shipping market. So they had to for, they had to double their shipments because availability was a, was an issue mm. and timeline so they held on quite a bit on their stock and as the shipping markets have come down and have normalized the rates they've sort of you sort of take advantage and it also helps with their um their their, their general um cash flow position furthermore they did sell their cold storage business um to uh another external entity um and if you're not owning that part of your value chain, you are able to, in at least, I would say, the short to medium term, um, be able to realize some significant savings by outsourcing some of those. So you don't need to carry, that's a gain, helps you in your cash flow from a working capital perspective and as well as a capex perspective. Mm. And let's shift our attention, I guess, away from the high seas and uh, take a look at uh, uh, one of the energy storage and uh, also uh, auto uh, I guess uh, uh, contract manufacturers Met Air coming out here with uh, a set of numbers, a uh, voluntary operational update that they gave to the market. And let's start out in the world of automotive components and we'll come back to the energy storage uh, play as well and the impact of um, developments out in Turkey. Um, they've certainly had some challenges um, in relation to the uh, Toyota South Africa uh, complementary businesses and uh, also, I guess, benefiting from some of the investments that the Ford Motor Company has been making in South Africa, in particular at the Silverton plant. And yes, and as you know, um, they, they, they did release an operational update. I think they've been hit by challenges that are not of their own doing. Mm. You had the floods, of course, um, in KZN, which had a significant um um, we had a significant impact on the uh, financial, on the financial, uh, financial wellness of the business, uh, financial wellness of the business. So, but they've they've said in the operational update that they're back to the pre-flood uh, levels. Um, regarding Ford, increased um, investment was been quite positive for them. 
what what you should know is that a lot of these automobiles, specific companies, they operate usually in special trading zones. And because Lasker is very much a motor hub, motor hub, they tend to have quite a nice benefits in terms of um, increased deductions, lower tax rates. So it actually does help with building the overall investment case specifically. And then energy storage, um, operating, I guess, in the space there of uh, battery fabrication. How is that business uh, fed? Um, so, like, um, like, the idea is to um, unlock specifically some of the verticals. Um, and remember, they've had, um, again, it, sometimes where you decide to store your business becomes the depth of you. So, in terms of energy storage, um, specifically just energy transition, that business case makes very good sense in the current market because there's a lot of interest and a lot of push for it. However, if you're trading in Romania as well as Turkey, where you've had energy costs, labor costs, triple, quadruple, add hyperinflation through all of that mess, add cost of debt through all of that mess, you, um, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you definitely, um, you're, you're asking fire plans. But it, it has helped that a lot of their revenue is in hard currency, so it does work as sort of a natural hedge mm. to counteract the impact, but you're still feeling a bit of that. And, and I guess, I mean, the other question that many of our listeners who might not be familiar with the context might be asking themselves, what's happening in Turkey and what is happening to the Turkish lira that has uh, prompted these guys, I guess, to flag that as a potential difficulty, I guess, in having a comparable set of numbers here um, because of hyperinflation. What's happening in Turkey? So, Turkey, 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 Turkey. Um, so, today, actually, they they, they, um, they released an update saying that their inflation had slowed for the first time since 2021. So, basically, um, Turkey's had significant hyperinflation Um even in 2021, it was starting on um, 16.6%. Um, but they, they went on a con- and, uh, to do something quite drastic, which is uh, decrease interest rates uh, in the market of hyperinflation. Um, then that resulted in the currency dropping. And they were just doing their own thing in terms of macroeconomic mm. theory. Then you had the price of energy go up because, you know, Russia, Russia, Ukraine, just, you know, any problem you had before Russia, Ukraine, um, it just made everything monumentally worse. Now, yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess the the other element that I'd probably want to sort of layer on that question is this, um, I guess, reflection they give towards the end of a potential value unlock opportunity um, via disposal of their energy storage business. I mean, is this a time where you probably want to offload your energy storage business, especially in the context of uh, many European countries shifting towards new energy vehicles? Um, yes and no. If someone offers you the right price, I, I, I always believe in sell now rather than later. Smile today. The future, the future one thing this year has, in the past two years has shown is that how uncertain the future and markets are. So if someone gives you the right price, it makes sense to sell. It makes sense to sell. It makes sense to sell. You can then think of re-entering some or other time or just thinking about a different market. But if, if the price is right, I'm a believer in money now, uh, money now, 
than anything else. I'm a very big believer in that. And yeah, so as much as you may say there is an opportunity for um, the current energy crisis, the return on that is still a few significant years away, mainly because of where the growth in battery is, other technology, um, storage, energy storage. It's still in the, I would say, pre-feasibility stage for any other entity because you're not at a point where the economics makes sense for anyone to invest, um, procure large battery storage at any sort of scale. You, if, if you can see sort of like the base case, um, mm. in fact, we've got a comparable company which also gives a nice bushfire mineral, which is also playing in the vanadium um, electrical storage, battery storage, um, that sort of value chain as well. Some of the different resources, but they, they, they're playing with the same thinking. But you're not there yet. The technology is not there yet where you are like fuel, uh, fossil fuels, where you just, if the price, is, when the price goes up, you're printing money. Hmm. You're still at that point. And I, that's also the really unfortunate part is that you sort of have to toil, take the losses, get the economy of scale going, and um, someone else can, can step into the market because they've, you've shown them how to do it with a shorter developmental cycle and they start putting money. It's literally the most unfortunate part about technology. Mm. And this can be seen with um, electric vehicles. Electric vehicles have been around, I think, the Toyota Prius early 2000s. Only now it's starting to make commercial sense. Yeah, I guess because of uh, some of the actions of many governments, um, least of all stringent emissions requirements, but also um, all of the actions they are trying to undertake to equalize uh, the prices of uh, these new energy vehicles to, I guess, internal combustion engines. But let's maybe shift away from that one. And uh, it seems uh, death is a very lucrative business. Um, Interesting story here coming out of Business Insider looking at the franchise costs of some of the more recognizable franchises in the funeral parlor business here in South Africa. What do you make of this one? Oh, they, they, those things make print money. You've got a captive market. It's really a captive market. It, it, it's actually it's quite sad how lucrative data is. But and people come to you out of necessity, right? Yes, it, it, it's a natural ecosystem. And remember, for the most part, most of these franchise undertakers are tied to insurance products which guarantees your business. So as long as the people die, they claim from insurance, and they use your services. It's a nice little ecosystem. It prints money. And of course, I mean, just the role of insurance there is a potential profit generator for you. I mean, uh, in a country where, you know, this issue of funeral covers kind of income agnostic, right? You know, some forms of insurance, you know, it's people at the upper end of the distribution who tend to insure. Uh, you know, household insurance is always an interesting one for me, for me insofar as that is concerned. But uh, across the income distribution, funeral cover is always something that, I guess, tops the pile. Yes. And so, as an insurance market, this is one of the most interesting things. We're actually underinsured in a, in a, as an insurance market if you look at our market um, in totality. But we have some areas where there's over-insurance. And this is so, one of them. And this is one of them, mainly because of how we're cultured. We are believers in the funeral. We are people who believe in spending money in a funeral. And... Culturally, whether we like it or not, it's what makes it such a, a, a demand product. About mm. so anyone who's sort of finished, because like you, you would look at it. Um, so, from a short-term insurance, more people have funeral cover than they have medical aid. That's true. Yeah. 
that and that will just tell you all you need to do. Mm-hmm. We're an unequal country. The cost of procuring um, insulin on children is far cheaper than the cost of medical aid. And the cost of death is very dear in this country. It's very dear. And we've got, um, the, the thing is that there is, um, there's a need to want to have dignity in death mm. and also overburden those that you love. You, yeah. One thing South Africans do have is that level of, um, people think that South Africans are not financially literate, but I do believe that this is actually one of the most um, impressive things about our society, is that we don't, there's a need in any person's income level not to get those when they die. Yeah. Snezibo, last one, uh, global diversified, uh, um, you know, I guess... Um Minerals trader, minerals, I don't know, even know what to call them, Glencore, uh, saying mea culpa to the Congolese as part of many other coordinated settlements in different geographies, least of all on the continent. What do you make of this one and uh, I guess uh, all of the commitments and pledges to ethics and to integrity? Okay, this is my personal opinion on Glencore, so no one must be really. Too little, too late, this is a mere fraction of what we've made quite simple and as and as they are Glencore if you read on Glencore the things they've done from the 70s to even now I think there's a cultural problem I don't think we, and, and the thing is that we hear about these scandals every few years without fail you hear them doing a scandal they are even one of the biggest debts which African countries remind me that they're one of the big, largest debtors mm. and like this is the entire uh, Glencore in Africa is literally a tale of exploitation yeah. at the highest. And they just, it's, it's what they do business-wise. It's the entire, yeah. I, I, I don't think, I, like when they say that they, they, they pay millions mm. for it, Hold the line there. The Metro FM heatwave East London has been cancelled due to unforeseen circumstances. All ticket holders can receive their full refund from their nearest computer outlet. Our sincere apologies. 16 minutes before 8pm, we wrap up our business wrap with Snesipo Manindra. And uh, Snesipo, just as we wrap up, uh, we're talking about Glencore there, of course, and uh, their uh, uh, payment to the Congolese officials there, it seems. The ghost of Mark Rich, uh, the founder there of the global, um, you know, uh, uh, commodities trader and uh, now diversified minerals player, uh, is seemingly very, very much uh, part of that organizational culture, according to what you were suggesting. Yes, yes, that's what they did. So I actually, I actually managed to get the details. They are one of the primary creators of Chad, an actual country. You've got countries that are where there's a linear Glencoe in the mix with the IMF. So, this so wait, wait, when you say they're a primary creditor of Chad, what are they, are they like lending money to Chad for budget purposes? Uh, they're one of their major private creditor, um, major private creditor. Um, it is, remember, it's an oil producing nation. Mm. As you know, they follow, they follow the resources. The guys, um, and think about it, Chad owes about a third of its debtors, external debt, commercial creditors. And almost half of that, all of that, actually all of that is in Glencore. That's just, and that is just some of the deals that they've done. So to give you, they are a major influence in our continent. And when we think of the fines, the total fine total is 1 billion US dollars. 
And when you think of Glencore annual revenue, it and the fact that it's literally a mere, 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 mere fraction. And I think that I think that's the that the that I think that is the tragedy of it all mm. is that it's literally a mere fraction of their uh, revenue. They like I said, they follow they follow the resources. They know yeah. what to do. They they know what to do. They understand. Um, um, they understand um, our government. Elizabeth, we're going to have to leave it here. We're going to have to leave it here for tonight. It seems it is indeed uh, sorry season for many. We saw ABB uh, paying, uh, paying, I guess, uh, prosecutors in uh, Switzerland, in the States, here in South Africa as well. 2.5 billion over the last while. So it seems we are indeed in that season. But uh, we'll leave it here for tonight. As always, a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Snesipo Maninjwa, the independent market commentator, analyst and CA, joining us for our wrap of the top business stories.